Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, um, a lot has happened since last we spoke. Uh, it's been a wild four days. It has It has been a, a wild four days. And, and like that that's... I don't think there's any other way of, of putting it. I mean, from Big Ten Championship uh, to men's basketball upsetting Michigan State the next day to the mass transfers uh, of Monday. Um, and, and, I don't know that mass well, transfers I mean, is. The, it, I mean, it, we had you it, know, it's more. It's more. More guys entering the transfer portal than we've seen before more, so, more than we're more than we're, more used, than we're to. used to more than we're used more to, than we're so. used to it's still it's not you know this isn't like stanford last year with 12 nope, or penn state the year before sure, with 11 sure. so we're still you right. know yeah we'll we'll circle back the, around to that but yeah, well, i don't want the, everyone the, the, please the, when, when people circle around i want you to all have hair left and from not having pulled <laughs> it out in between <laughs> now and the time we circle back which is the, why this is why i'm mentioning that up front i mean like we there is no sh- panic here the no. Chicago Bears have not fired their coach yet. I nope. mean, <laughs> things are looking up, boys. And hey, yeah. if the Bears can uh, beat the Jaguars uh, this weekend, that you know puts them even. A, I don't think they're eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, Is that a four, would that be a four-game win streak? Oh, at least a three, I, I think. I don't know. Matt Nagy forever, but forever. Uh, you know, <laughs> may his reign forever. never cease. You, you got to wonder when the Mitch Trubisky extension is coming. Oh God! <laughs> in any case, any, in any case, um, Big Ten championship, Ohio State twenty-two, Northwestern ten. This final score was not. I don't. I wouldn't even call it indicative to how the game went. I mean, we were up at halftime. We, and, and then Trey Sermon. Uh, well, so that's the thing, right? Let's start there because. I think in in my own mind, I'm not going to speak for you all, but I have a hunch that, that you all and you all listeners are kind of in the same place where you're thinking, look, we're getting disrespected by, like crazy in the run-up to this game. So one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to get our doors blown out and the disrespect just continues, if not grows, or we're going to shock the nation and squash all the disrespectors. Nope, there's a third option. Uh, we can play a pretty good game and then go right on getting disrespected. Because the narrative coming out of this, right, is Justin Fields didn't play well, but Trey Sermon dominated, and because of that, Ohio State won. Almost none of which is true. Um, and I, the- I, I'm, I'm going to push back on your disrespect thing, but, but, go, but go ahead, because I, I like, I don't totally disagree with you, but I like the, 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 the smart heads out there are talking about the things that Northwestern did in this game that were different from Northwestern teams we've seen in the past and indicate a, 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 a potential that has not been appreciated before. I guess I've just been listening to things. I mean, I was listening to Bill Simmons and Sal and talking, boy, Justin Fields didn't look good in that game. You know, I thought he was a good quarterback and it's like, well, you know, Justin Fields did play the best defense by far. He's played this season. Um, and I think, you know, before the game, if you could have told us, look, Justin Fields and Trey Sermon are going to combine for 445 yards of total offense. I'd be like, or 400 and 
whatever it is, 70 something yards of total offense, I'd be like, oh, that's not bad. What fields runs for maybe 100. He throws for 250, add in a little bit from Sermon. It's like, no, it was just all dumped in Sermon's plate. And I think it's funny because at one point I was kind of laughing and I was being like, well, I guess it came too late in the season for Northwestern to show everyone that the secret to beating to playing Ohio State really close is just to force them to, to push it all to Trey Sermon and have him uh, gain all those yards if that means shutting fields down. But the truth be told, I mean, that's a joke. No, uh, if just about any other team in the Big Ten gave up 331 rushing yards to Trey Sermon, they'd lose by 50. It's Northwestern's defense. We have the ability to do things that other people don't have the ability to do. But I mean, you know, with the disrespect, you're right, Scott. I mean, there are sharps out there and smarts who are getting into this more than a lot of other people. But there is this narrative coming out of the game, right, that is Ohio State wins, Trey Sermon runs for 331 yards. And if you watch the game, that's just not how it played out. I mean, the second half, it, it really was. But like, let, let's let's talk about the first half. I mean, well, and, and, and we'll come to the second half, but like the way the defense was rattling fields, uh, Master T got hurt early, uh, so they ha- they had to go to Sermon. They were able to run the ball with Sermon, but they didn't like completely go to him until the second half. And I think the the thing that really and, and we were pointing to is the fact that Greg Newsom gets hurt. Uh, he hurts his groin. He goes out. And now all of a sudden, our safeties maybe have to play back a little bit to, you know, because we can't necessarily leave our corners on the island that they were on. If our safeties are now drawn back a little bit, now, you know, our linebackers are, you know, their offensive line is completely, you know, they're keeping their blocks. You know, our D line isn't able to get off the blocks. Our linebackers aren't able to flow to the holes and there's no safety help. That opened the door for Sermon to just go hog wild in the second half. I mean, it, well, it, how does that narrative ring to you guys at all? It it does. I mean, I'm going to take it one step further. I mean, the, the the game plan was bend but don't break, right? I mean, the entire game plan from Northwestern was don't let Ohio State beat us over the top. Check. We did yeah, not yep. allow them to nope. beat us over the top. Right. Um. We we absolutely benefited from the fact that Chris Olave was not available for this game that allowed us to you know, concentrate a bit more on Garrett Wilson. There were clearly some miscues where, you know, the relationship that Fields and Olave had was a problem, right? He's, he's targeting, I think, Julian Fleming, yep. true freshman, starting his, you know, a, in, in a bigger role than he's ever played all year. There were at least a couple different places where, you know, the, if it was Olave on the field, he and Fields are just, you know, operating with one mind, right? And uh, I think there was a pick that resulted in, in, Fleming cutting upfield instead of um, coming back toward fields along the sideline. There were a couple other cases, et cetera. Like th- those things all happen, right? But with regard to, I mean, we said it on our on our preview podcast with with Jay the week prior, and that you know, like you're going to have to pick your poison with Ohio State to a certain degree, and maybe you're better off letting them run a bit underneath and, but forcing them to be methodical and we forced them to be methodical. And you saw what a problem that was for them on their first drive, 16 plays, 51 yards. Now, granted they actually got into the end zone. It got called back on a holding penalty. Um, and we held them to three. 
you know, we forced a couple punts, but then again, eight plays, 49 yards, eight plays, 76 yards. Ohio State's not used to having to do that. And you saw how it discombobulated them. And I think I like, in addition to the incredible play of our secondary, Cam Mitchell coming out of no, like not coming out of nowhere. I know he's played this year, but just really having emerging. an incredible, incredible day. Um, Newsom for the first half was really, really good on Wilson. You had, um, AJ Hampton making plays. You had play of the year. Yeah, I mean, Brent, I mean, Brent, Brent and Brent Joseph, Joseph really just much, though. he had a pretty quiet game though. Yeah, yeah. Joseph, I don't really remember anything. I, I tell you what, man, like, like the disrespect, right? Like every, literally everybody is talking about that Brandon Joseph or uh, interception right before the half. But, but like that was the game plan, and it it, it goes back to Hank. Hankowitz, it goes back to exactly what we talked about on our last pod with Jay of of how you can, you know, force this Ohio State team to be out of their comfort zone, and we forced them out of their comfort zone. I think it was exacerbated by Olave's absence. Once Newsom left the field in the second half, it evened the playing field a bit, and I think you know a combination of our defense wearing down, us us, you know, choosing to to ensure that they didn't get it over the top in the passing game allowed Sermon to rumble a bit. That dude got ahead of steam behind him. He looked really good. He was he was crushing tackles. He, you know, ran through our linebackers a number of times. He benefited from some uh some choice non calls on yeah. holding a couple of times yep. as well. But like I like credit where credit's due. Like they took advantage of what in my mind was just way too many Northwestern miscues. If Ohio State does everything exactly the same on their end in the, in, in that entire game run for 331 yards, yada, yada, yada. And Peyton Ramsey throws a touchdown instead of a pick in the end zone to start the second half. Mm -hmm. Doesn't, doesn't miss the opportunity to run for a first down and then convert a much shorter field goal on that, on that other, that other drive. It's 22 to 20 with Northwestern with the ball down two points with two minutes left in the game to drive for a game winning field goal. Like, like the, the, the path was there. The game plan played out exactly as we expected it to. And a couple of unfortunate mistakes, uncharacteristic mistakes, if you will happen. And that's like, I guess the broad, the broader place I want to get to is to me, the, the big reaction after the game was, and, and we can talk about some of the ways that Northwestern, you know, really, really did kind of good, surprising things, especially some of the third and longs. Like, again, stuff we talked about with Jay, but everybody's reaction after the game of, wow, Northwestern just needs, you know, elite, more elite targets to win this type of game in the future. And, and I know that that's, a, that's been a discussion about the wide receiver core, et cetera, for a long we, time. But the reality is, is like, turn it over, right? What exactly? Well, and, and, and the way Northwestern's constructed right now, right? is that they have very little margin for error. And we did not have enough margin for error to account for three turnovers. And John, I know you want to talk about a couple of the weird wide receiver plays to, to Riley Lee's that, that, that blew up in our face. Like we can't have those things happen in a game and expect to win. And we, we talked about the turnover battle up, up front, et cetera, et cetera. Like take away two of those miscues. It is a totally, totally different game in the last four minutes. And like oh. we held them to 22 points. Trey Sermon went for 331 yards and two touchdowns, and we held them to 22 points. Literally well, I, everyone not affiliated oh, with Northwestern oh, thought that they were scoring 40. Oh, oh yeah. I, that, I want to make a big point about this, too, because we talked about this going in. Ohio State underperformed by scoring 22 points 
they underperformed barely by scoring 22 points. And this is the thing that's like, this is where kind of this disrespect gets me. We hammered this home coming in. Ohio State scores between 10 to 22 points over what a team normally surrenders based on their performance this season. Well, the low end of that, given what Northwestern, the all caps, second best scoring defense in the country gave up this year was 15 points. 10 over that puts Ohio State at 25 points. They scored 22, which means they underperformed barely and Northwestern's defense overperformed barely. But it's that thing where it's just like everyone was more than happy to just write off the number two scoring defense in the country because of the laundry of the scarlet and gray. And it's like, no, this is like a slightly better optimistic, you know, view of the expectations. And on the flip side, and Scuzz did it. I mean, ultimately, we lost this game because of everything that happened on the offense. And if you want to credit some of it to the de- to the Ohio State defense, fine. I would submit, especially in the first half, the offensive line was doing kind of a stunningly good job against that defensive line. And we were like, Ohio State's starting to blitz. They're starting to bring pressure because they're not getting the pressure with four that they thought that they were getting. And it's like, you can sum it up by looking at Peyton Ramsey's line. Peyton Ramsey in this game completed 66% of his passes and ran for almost five yards a carry with a long of 34 yards in this game. But he turned it over three times. And it's like, that's it right there. Um, And then like Scuzz alluded to it earlier, but those two disastrous wide receiver plays, the one that ended in the Riley Lee's intentional grounding play, um, and then the other play where he's tackled for a big loss, you're talking about a minimum of five drive-destroying plays in a game where we otherwise moved the ball. There were not many drives uh, many uh, drives in this game where we're getting stoned, and you're like, oh, there's a three and out. All those ones that people, the minute they happen, right, jump all over in a classic sense and are like, oh, here we go again, Northwestern, bang, 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 and out, right? It was like, no turnovers and you have like late in the game when you have that back-breaking series of plays that led to you know what scuzz was talking about where like ohio state was just able to lean on us late it's because there was this stretch where ohio state had drive 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 and in in between those three drives were a total of two minutes of northwestern possession and that's when the wheels finally came off for the defense like you know Jake and Joe on the inside, those guys can only carry so much water for so long against Ohio State, right? Um, so I think, you know, to Scuzz's point, right, like we have a lower margin for error with the talent that we have right now. But this notion that the offense was outclassed, RCB went off in this yeah. game. Um, Cam you know, Porter. Right. He Cam had a, he had a game. Running right. out of the Wildcat, which I like, I'm. I was. I, I tweeted in the first half. I've never been so happy to be wrong about something because I thought there was no way we we're going to run Wildcat against Ohio State. And to the point that you made about the offensive line in the first half, like, like, yes, it was. It was working. It, it you know, I think we got diminishing returns from it as we went on, and they started to figure out what was going to happen there. But like the one other thing that really stood out to me, and I, and 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 I want to point out, like, the guys on the solid verbal, um, who are. Not like the most dismissive of Northwestern, but are are generally of the mind that oh yeah you know like Northwestern always like 
you know, exceeds expectations, kind of defies the statistics, like finds ways to win, but like pat on the head, that's kind of nice. Like um, they were really impressed at the fact that when we got into situations like third and long against Ohio state, we actually, we, we were able to execute. I mean, there's a, there's a third and 12, a third and nine, a third and seven in the first half that, that Peyton Ramsey converted. And I, I, I don't want to say he converted it easily, but like pitch and catch to RCB or McGowan, like, like we had answers and an ability to perform in those, in those moments, you go back in, in the, in the championship game of 2018, when it's third and long and, you know, they're coming after us with everything they've got and we're, you know, barely scraping by. So like to, to me, I think if we were to shift big picture a little bit, like what's, what was, what was so exciting about this game to me, in addition to having the lead at half, but like we, you know, two years ago, John, you and I were there. We give Ohio state everything we had for one quarter. We put the fear of God in them in, in, in the third quarter and, you know, didn't, didn't have the ponies to, to, to go toe to toe in the fourth, et cetera, et cetera. In this game, we went toe to toe with Ohio state for three quarters. The game just looked different, right. In terms of what we were able to do, the, the effectiveness of our defense, the effectiveness of our offense in moments. And it was really, you know, our, like we, we had the opportunity to win. I don't, I don't, I don't ever feel like the opportunity to win was on the table in 2018. Like, like, yes, we were, we had an opportunity to take the lead, off of, off of a fumble in the third quarter, right? And then things kind of fizzled from there. But you always had the sense that Ohio State kind of felt inevitable. Um, whereas in this game, Northwestern dictated the tone for for three quarters. And I just like not not in a you know empty empty victory kind of way, but like that's that's progress, and it does show how this program has advanced and. Yes, the margin for error is still very minimal because we don't have the, you know, first round draft pick at wide receiver right now. We don't have the first round draft pick at running back right now, but we're we're getting closer, right? To 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 those to those things being able to make a really meaningful distance, dif- a really meaningful difference on what this team can expect to compete for. And I I, I think the a, a real key point is you know, you, you looked at that game two years ago and, you know, for a lot of it, it's like, we didn't, they, they were completely like, we didn't belong on the field necessarily. And, you know, we were happy to be there and whatnot. And, you know, they ended up kind of running us off in this game. It absolutely felt like this, these were two teams that belonged on the same field together. And like, you could play this game 10 times and the outcome would be it might go like five and five, or maybe four, the, the, maybe there, four and six. There's I don't know. a reason. There's a reason we were all. Um, sto- I, 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 was it Annie? I think the name of the NU fan who basically like recorded herself giving the Herb Brooks. Uh, oh, that was fantastic! Speech. That was so good. Um, and there's a line in there like, "If we play them ten times, they maybe win nine, but not today." And it just like this had that feeling of. It's a, it's a big mismatch, and, and and we talked about it with Jay, right? Like there there are paths for us to win. The likelihood is that we won't, but there there are paths, and we should all go into this eyes wide open that that you know we have a legit shot. And then you saw that play out before your very eyes. Um, the the path that we went down. The other thing that I want to bring up too is that I, you know the execution was such a 
you know, such a problem because I thought there were moments where um, Coach Jake called a really good game. And of course, I know everyone's immediately going to be like, yeah, but what about those wide receiver passes? Like, I'm with you. Um, you know, it should be mentioned that on the first one, Lee's, you know, but for a, you know, intricacy of the rule book, which I'm going to be honest, I didn't know, made a yeah, pretty heady, made a pretty heady play, <laughs> like trying to throw the ball out of bounds on a play, you know, on a wide receiver play, you know, ultimately like that could have been a, a throwaway play instead of a drive killing play, but whatever. I think one of the things that I was pointing out was he early on in the game was not only dictating but was effectively anticipating how Ohio State was going to um, respond to that. Because, again, we talked about going in that Ohio State's not a team that's brought a lot of pressure. And I think, you know, to Scuzz's point about you run this game back, this is this is a different team than two years ago. I think Ohio State realized that really early, the way the offensive line was punching them in the mouth. And their defense is going, we are not getting there with four. And not only was that true, but Jakey anticipated what they were going to do next. And the play I'm specifically thinking of is the Northwestern drive in the first half that ended with the field goal could have been a touchdown because on that third down, when Ohio State brought the jail break, break blitz, but Jakey knew it was coming and he had a screen pass ready to go and it was wide open. And I think... It was either the ball was tipped. No, the ball wasn't tipped, but I think uh, I want to say Ramsey accidentally ran into his offensive lineman and got tripped up a little bit. And the play just went haywire and it didn't quite develop the right way. And that was going to be, if not a touchdown on that play, which was a real possibility. It was going to extend the drive and, and make it really likely we're going to score a touchdown. And, you know, you talk about the tenor of this game and the way Sermon went loose. Well, Sermon gained something like two close to 250 of his yards in the second half. So imagine a four more points. So we're leading 14, six instead of 10, six at the half. And then the drive at the start of the second half, we don't throw that interception. If we're up 17, six, let me tell you, it's going to be Justin Fields playing hero ball. Ohio <laughs> state is not going to be like, we're running field. Like they're going to start pulling their hair out. And it's like, you know, again, to what Scuzz was saying, you run this back a bunch of ways. It's not that Ohio State wins it nine out of ten times. It's like it could break a couple of different ways. And that's, I think, the big takeaways. We were done in um, by some bad execution uh, and and a couple things that, that really went our way and killed drives that were otherwise going. And, and I think, you know, we tweeted this out after the game. Um, and I think a lot of you really agreed with us that that's what stung about this one. Is we come away, we came away feeling like we, this team was good enough. This team could have won this game. You run it back a couple of times, we get wins. This could and arguably should have been one of those, and we didn't get it, and we know it, and that burns. It it does it does burn, and and, and at the same time, right? Like knowing that Northwestern came in with this game plan and got that close is and and frankly defied expectations from everybody else in the college football world feels feels really good there's there's one point i wanted to make john as you were talking about trey sermon and all the yardage he was piling up as we went into the second half as we came out of halftime i really expected ohio state to just lean on justin fields and this is this is the sort of thing that clemson used to do with deshaun watson deshaun watson would never run the ball until clemson was in trouble and then he would just eviscerate the other team 
and I expected them to come out of half and, and feels to be like, all right, bully ball time. I want to see if you can stop me, right? Like we're going to, we're going to run a bunch of wideouts and I'm going to be one-on-one with your linebackers. And I'm going to see if I can, if I can bust through and, and put this team on my back. And we did such a good job sometimes to our detriment, right? There was one, there was one, um, I can't remember if it was uh, Tommy or, or Ernest Brown, but they, they had a, there was a replay where, I want to say it was Tommy like was so was rightly focused on fields, but it allowed just the perfect cutback for sermon off of a read off of a read a zone read. And yeah, that, that was, that was Brown. Was that Brown? Yeah. And that was, I think was one of sermon's bigger runs ended up being. And, and it just like, in the first half, there were a couple of those like squarely third downs where where fields got loose, and we were like, "Oh no, this is like this is the game right here." I think Jay even tweeted that like this is the game. Like if, like if we continue to, you know, paw at him and not be able to bring him down, like we, like we're gonna lose. And to the team's credit, from that point on, they when they got their hands on fields, they took care of business, and we sacked him a bunch of times. Um, I think that we we imposed some physicality on him and actually like, I don't know that we dinged him up. I know his thumb was hurt, but um, there was one run where, where he kind of went down awkwardly and maybe took a shot from J.R. pace. I don't know, but like, I don't think that they felt comfortable leaning on him to be that physical imposing runner in the run game. And you know, that, that, that construct that you gave at the beginning, John around like, Oh yeah. If you said like fields and sermon combined for, you know, X number of yards, like, We'd be like, oh yeah, you know that the fields probably did X, Y, or Z, and I think, I think the reality was is we keyed on fields, and as a result, they handed it off a lot. And so again, like that, that like, oh, Justin Fields had a bad game. Nonsense is kind of a misread of how our defense attacked them. Right, and I think just you know on the flip side, other you know the other side of the ball with Ramsey, it's so bizarre because I think there's going to be this narrative coming out of the game that Ramsey had. Uh, you know, bad game because of the three turnovers. And those were three back-breaking turnovers. You can't get around that. But in the moment, in the narrative, the announcers were spending a ton of time talking about, and we were all right there with them, being like, look at what this much experience does for you when you've got a guy out there. Because when he wasn't throwing those picks, he was dealing. And not just dealing, knowing when to run, knowing when to take off, right? Um, presence in the pocket. He had one play, I think it was a long pass to RCB. It might have even been on a, on a third down, um, where he got rocked immediately after he let the ball go. And he knew it was coming. And it was yep. one of those, you got to have it plays. And it's like, you know, you're about to get leveled and you know it and you've got to get that ball out. And it was just a perfect play. And it was just, well, he, he didn't rush the throw. He didn't double clutch the throw. Like he, he threw it exactly when it needed to be thrown. It was complete. I think it was a third down conversion. Like, yeah. Right. And I mean, so it just stinks because it's, it's, those were, those were backbreaking plays. Um, they were, but it's just, it's so weird because it's not indicative of the rest of the game he had. And again, it's like, those are those freak kind of things. And, and I think, you know, there there's the thought that you, you get to a point where one game can mean so much and you're held at the mercy of these kind of things and it didn't go our way. But, you know, it stinks at the same time. Um, I think at the end of the day, I mean, we'll get there in a second, but uh, we weren't totally denied respect coming out of this game in terms of, of things that we get to do in places we get to go. Um, and um, 
you know, everyone who watched that game knows what they saw and knows the quality of the team that they saw. Um, and uh, we didn't quite reach the mountaintop. It, it stings for sure. But, uh, you know, everything that Scuzz said is true. This, this team gave as good as they got in this game uh, every way. And, and I definitely feel like the, the national narrative wasn't, necess- like, wasn't necessarily like, oh, Ohio State had a bad game. There was a lot of, of like, oh, wow, okay, Northwestern. That, that was a hell of a game Northwestern played. Um, my, my, favorite, <laughs> my favorite take is, um, is Urban Meyer's. How before the game it was? Oh, I don't. I'm not. I don't think Ohio State has to worry about their punter being out with COVID because they're not going to have to punt. To after the game, you know, re, like very much reversing course on a. You know, wow. If, you know, if Northwestern just had some more elite targets, they could have won this thing. Oh, I mean, just like Ur- Urban before the game, his whole his whole thing about like let me take you inside the like the Jedi temple that is Ohio state receivers. Oh, and I was just yuck. like, all right, great. Super glad we're getting a nice unbiased take leading up to this. Whatever. <laughs> I, I digress. Lord, Lord almighty. But I like, I do think, I do think Northwestern acquitted itself pretty well. And, and on both sides of the, of, of, of the ball. Right. Um, and, and that Brandon Joseph interception is, is oh the punctuation God. mark. Oh, I mean, it was, it was, it's the, that's the play of the season, and I'm not it, talking about for Northwestern. That's college football. You won't see a better play than that. Have you see, have you ever seen a better defensive play by a Northwestern player? I mean, Kyle Cairo is the one that I think of. You know, he against Stanford. Uh, yeah, that that similar interception. But I mean, again, I just I've never seen a play as good as Joseph's. And you're talking about a you know a potential touchdown saving play at the end of a half in a Big Ten championship game. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what more you're looking for in terms of, of highlight by by, you know, as we've already established by the time this pod's coming out by an all American. So I don't know all American, and that's, that's that is where I wanted to go next because I like I I don't know that that play sealed his status as an all American, but um, his his pick in this game, you know, assured that he finished the season the regular season at least. Um, with the you know tied for the lead in interceptions in the FBS, not the Big Ten, the FBS, um, that's pretty spectacular, and uh, that was you know that was highlight reel material and will continue to be. <laughs> He's a freshman, guys. He's a freshman. <laughs> I, I, we we were talking about the idiosyncrasies of this, how how bizarre and crazy this is. Does he have to now look at his name up on Ryan Field for <laughs> Or do they years? wait till he finishes his or career? Or do they wait until uh... he finishes his career? You know, I you gotta keep the kid hungry, you know. I'm like it's it's pretty crazy. But but you know, I my, mean it's my... it, it just the quality you're right, his quality, quality defense. One of my favorite things, I think it was today, it might have been yesterday, but um they announced those all American teams and uh Greg Newsom tweeted like my safety's better than yours basically which is just <laughs> spectacular. Uh so shall we move ahead to uh to Sunday? Um just as far as yeah. you know the the radio yeah, I think I think talking about this in chronological order is the right way to do it. It is pretty crazy, right? Because that we all woke up salty. And then it was a day that proceeded in really salty fashion for a while yeah i mean you know go ahead sam but you can take us through it no i mean like you know the the college football playoff comes out you know it's alabama clemson ohio state notre dame you know 
people are quibbling over whether Notre Dame should be there or not. Whatever. I mean, they're going to get whoever whoever was going to go in the number four is going to get curb stomped by Bama. So you know, you could you could put the three of us out there. We would get curb stomped by Bama. It doesn't matter. Bama is that good this year. Um, you know, Clemson, Ohio State, that'll be fun potentially. Um, we'll we'll see. But I I mean, if it's not Bama, Clemson for the championship again this year, I, that would be a bit of a shock. Um, you know, are 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 we going to quibble about the the New Year's Six? I, I think I think that is probably where the bigger quibbles might be. Uh, you know, sucks for Indiana. I mean, they had a hell of a year, six and one. Obviously, they didn't get to to play. You know, for the bucket either time because uh, of COVID concerns. Um, you know, Iowa State gets into the New Year's Six. A three loss Iowa State, a three loss Florida. Gets in over a one-loss Indiana. Um, yeah, yuck on both counts, but I think like from the standpoint of we all woke up still kind of licking our wounds from Saturday, and then we're, we're we're looking at at all the bowl projections, and that everybody thinks that Iowa State is going to go to the Fiesta Bowl. Sure enough, they do, and we think that that pro- that means that Northwestern is going to get kicked all the way down to the outback. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, Indiana gets gets. You know, snub from the New Year's Six, and then they would go to the Citrus, and we would go to the Outback and play a 500 Missouri team. However, that's not what happens. Um, we're going to the Citrus Bowl to take on Auburn, uh, six and four Auburn. We'll get into the preview for for that game. You know, I think probably next week. But um, you know, and and then Indiana's going to the Outback, and you know, there's. The, the bowl season this year is just so weird. I mean, it's going on right now. It, it, it's still going on. Uh, it, it has begun. There's games happening, like, almost immediately. And there's still, like, shuffling being going on. You know, Army was left out. Now, all of a sudden, they're they're going in. Now you've got the the Conference USA champion without a game. Uh, it's just amazing. It's it just, like, it's the, the main thing that carried the day, right, is... is Given the craziness, the committee showed beyond a reasonable doubt, as if you didn't already know this, that when push comes to shove, laundry is going to determine everything. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to get into the group, either you're going to be the one with the laundry or you're going to be someone who beat the laundry. And it's like like it's the craziest. No one exemplifies this better than Iowa State, who has a Sunbelt loss, a loss to an unranked Sunbelt team. Whatever you think about Louisiana, like, they ain't ranked right now. And they beat Iowa State. Iowa State has a win over Oklahoma. They also beat Oklahoma. And this is by no means an amazing Oklahoma team. This Oklahoma team is ranked way too high because they're Oklahoma. That's why they're the number six in the CFP. There's no other reason than that they're Oklahoma. So... Iowa State got a split from them. But when they asked Gary Barta on the show, they're like, so, like, why Iowa State? He's like, well, they had a couple of quality wins. Oklahoma was one. The other was Texas, who's 6-3 and and has nothing else going for them other than that they are the University of Texas. It was that kind of year. And Co- like, Coastal Carolina beat BYU, which oh, is a better yeah. win than any of those teams oh, that you just mentioned. I, I mean, it's have. so. It's so. I, I just. I think Nicole Auerbach said it best when she said, D- "Don't call this a playoff; it's an invitation." Yeah, that right. was, that was a, a 
perfect line. Exactly. And I mean, that's the, and it's the, it's the exact ridiculousness, but I mean, I think, you know, circling back to where that sits, Indiana and where it sits Northwestern, right? Where it's like, well, Indiana, they're like, they didn't do anything wrong. They have a seven point loss to, to Ohio state on their resume. I mean, even compared to us who like, we have that Iowa win. We also have the Michigan state loss, but it's like Indiana did nothing. Poor, nothing poorly this season, nothing to hurt them other than losing to Ohio State by seven, which is worth mentioning only because Ohio State's entire resume is barely beating Indiana and beating us by 12. That's their resume. And everything else is just eye test against bad teams. But Indiana doesn't benefit from that flip of the coin. You know, their side of that doesn't benefit them at all. It's just, again, it's well, just... Well, they're, they're benefiting from... So like if I like if I were to sum up the Indiana case, it's it it's that Penn State win, which which was fluky. They got outgained like I think four hundred and eighty eight yards to two hundred yards. Um, sure, but right, I mean that's us saying that though. That's us getting into the nitty gritty. Like my simple counter, you mentioned Penn State. If Penn State has the exact same resume, Indiana has. Penn State is ranked higher. Like I just oh say, yeah one hundred percent yeah. They just, they just are. I mean, every replay the exact same set of circumstances, but put Penn State uniforms on them, and it's just Indiana got screwed because they were Indiana. And again, I think well, we well, were. It, it, it doesn't help. I mean, like again, I, I don't disagree with you. It does not help that they couldn't play the last two weeks. Which, True. Like, like it is, it is hard to separate COVID from everything we're talking about right now. Um. And, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, obviously Northwestern, I don't, we, we didn't have any positive tests during the course of the season. I, the same was true for Stanford, I believe, which is interesting. I'm not sure if there were any other teams that, that achieved Boston that. Boston College, but, I think maybe, possibly. So like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it other than, other than the fact then, other than the fact that it, it kind of goes back to what Pat Fitzgerald said early on in the year, like, you can do everything right and still get screwed. But if you do one thing wrong, right? Like, like you're, you're, you're torched and not that I'm blaming Indiana per se. I I'm just, I'm just saying like, that was something that they unfortunately weren't able to play the last two weeks. And if they had, if they had destroyed Purdue and whoever else they were supposed to play, Purdue, um, you know, oh, oh yeah, it was Purdue twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if they've been able to play Purdue one of those two weeks and beat them, um, I think maybe maybe that that creates a slightly different narrative. Maybe they would have gotten Iowa the final week of the season. I, like who knows? Um, so it does it does it does again come down to you know do control everything you can control and I, hey, see where I'll, the chips fall. Well, I'll say this too, right off the top, I was talking about the disrespect narrative. And again, like, honestly, like, it's funny because so many of you like have been very much like John's just been pissed off for like a couple weeks. <laughs> like, yep, you got me. Um, but I was very, I mean, like, you, you heard me like disrespect off. Like, I, I do believe it. It could be me projecting a little bit, but I'm looking at like the, you know, the narrative and the things I'm reading coming out of this game and everything. But, there's no doubt that all the predictions had Indiana Fiesta, us, um, Citrus in that pecking order, be, uh, you know, leading up to the Big Ten championship game. 
which led us to believe that there would be that subsequent, once it became clear that they were going to go Iowa State for the Fiesta, that, that everyone would get bunked down, which led to us believe that we were going to Outback. But clearly, our performance in the Ohio State game must have made an impression on some people because yes. we ended up in the Citrus Bowl. And for, you know, it was enough to push people push us above Indiana in a lot of people's eyes, apparently. I, I, think, I think that is 100% the takeaway that that, that that is, that it was that game, it was the way that game played out, and if you compare it directly against how Indiana played Ohio State, they got down what thirty-five to seven, mm-hmm. and they had to, they had to, to muster a comeback. That's you know, um, final score be what it is. You know, you could also look at they they you know essentially matched our performance against Wisconsin. So, um, but yeah, like that that game, and you know, it's it's funny because I've always kind of felt like well, the, the other team that goes to the championship is the team that that should finish second in the conference, quote unquote. Um, you know, obviously people are looking at records and saying, oh, Northwestern is, you know, six and two versus Indiana being six and one um, or what, whatever the final records were. Yeah, but, that, that, that's it. Six and two, six and one. But but like you know, we only had that second loss because we got to the championship game. Right. Like you almost have to, to take that one off um, and look at two six and one teams. But I just I'm I'm stoked. Like just to, to, to fast forward here a little bit, like bowl season is going to be weird. We have no idea. Um, who is or isn't playing for Northwestern in this game? We'll get to that in a minute. But like, this is this is a height that we haven't seen since 1996 in terms of bowl pecking order. And um, I think this team has really earned it and deserves a, st- a spot on the national stage. We have a pretty interesting matchup against Auburn. Um, we're gonna not break that down tonight, but but uh, down the, tra- the the track here next week. But it's like this is a, it's a pretty awesome outcome. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, going to Orlando, I mean, it is a higher prestige bowl than the Outback. And, you know, we've been to the Outback a couple times um, in the last 10 years, obviously, you know, 10 years ago against this Auburn team. That was an unbelievable game. Um, but then the the Tennessee debacle uh, from a few years ago, you know, we haven't been to Orlando. We haven't been to the Citrus Bowl since 96. And, you know, I'm just very grateful that the Peyton at quarterback is playing for us instead of our opponent, as, as was the case in 96. I'm, I'm sure that joke has been told a million times, so I'm, I'm not surprised it didn't land in any case. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it is. And, and again, yeah, we're not going to dip our toes in too much. It's only funny, you know. The night that we're recording this, uh, we just found out that Auburn, I think, is finalizing a new head coaching position. Um, again, I don't want to go too much down that, but, you know, they've got a new head coaching hire, but it only highlights the fact that this is a team that fired its head coach and is hiring a new head coach. And yes, when you're in Alabama and you're not Alabama, it's a different set of standards. But still, like Auburn ain't had the kind of season Northwestern's had is the point. Um, and it's going to be, you know, really interesting. But to say that there's a lot of opportunity here is is uh, is no joke. Like there is, and it'll be interesting to to see the motivation for Auburn um, playing under interim coach with the next coach in waiting. Uh, well, but we'll we'll talk about that next week. Let's go on to a little bit later in the day, um, as you know, we're all kind of digesting the hey, we, you know, we're going to the Citrus Bowl. That's great. Um, what else is happening? And all of a sudden, a uh, little basketball game tips off. Uh, you know, Northwestern versus number four Michigan State, and something happens that nobody saw coming, 
and that's that we jumped out to an early lead and held it the entire time. Like it was it, it was a dominating performance by Northwestern. It's worth pointing out that we got out to an early lead. Michigan State tied the game at 13, and then we went back out to a big early lead and then rolled the rest of the, rest of the way. Yeah, tre- and, and tremendous. And I, and I say that just because there's too many times that I've seen Northwestern basketball get out to a big early lead. Like, they're up 11-2, to two, they're up 15-5, to five, and, it, and it is meaningless in the long run. And, you know, see, seeing seeing the way the team responded every time Michigan state started to make a run, seeing like some of the individual matchups we're going to talk about here. Like this was a really, really fun game and just such a surprising um, thing to happen 24 hours after the, or 36 hours. What was it like? Like 30 hours after the big 10 championship game. Um, yeah. I mean, it, so it was, it was, it was awesome. I think my big takeaway from this game, um, because I think there's, there's a narrative that Michigan State lost because Michigan State played really poorly and they shot very poorly. Really key thing to understand, though, is Michigan State lost this game by 14 points, right? So imagine that you can add 14 points to Michigan State's scoreline and make this 79-79 late uh, in the game, right? Um you'd be improving Michigan State's offensive output pretty significantly by adding on those 14 points, right? So then the question is, how did Northwestern get to 79 points? And that's the key bit here. Because Northwestern was scoring to beat the band in this game. And I think a lot of people are immediately going to look and be like, well, Boo Booey went off in this game, and he did. He went absolutely bananas in this game, right? Um, 30 points, 5 of 6 from 3 point. With that said, if you watched Northwestern last year, you know Boo Booey is an unconscious gunner and he can get hot. So you're going to get games like this. What was different about this one was when he got hot because of the way we were playing and the kind of offense that we were running, it felt like our offense was completely unstoppable in this game. And this is something that we had talked about coming out of the pit game that had us pulling our hair out, which was basically like, we are going with a three-guard lineup, almost not at all, especially if Anthony Gaines is in foul trouble or is not on the court. And they, the coaches, I give them credit. I give Collins credit, Brian James credit. They learned their lesson. A hundred minutes in this game were played by guys who were not guards, and a hundred minutes were played by guard guys who were guards. Which, if you do the math, means that fifty percent of the time we had three guards on the court. And credit where credits due, they clearly watched the women destroy Purdue. With <laughs> yeah, right. Yep, yeah, the week, <laughs> I was right? going to say you can dominate with with a lot of guards, especially if a couple of them. Well, in the women's case, you know. Two of your guards are like arguably the two best guards in the conference. You got a lot going for you, but um, the in this case though, like you can look at Gaines, who you know carried three fouls. We talked about it coming out of the pit game. He's going to pick up fouls. He's a defensive specialist. He was only on the court for twelve minutes, and you know Ty Berry played a solid twenty minutes, even though he didn't start. Ryan Greer played another twenty. Three guards were on the court a lot, and. I think as hot as Bowie was, I think if you ask, if, you know, a lot of you ask yourselves, what is the single play you remember from this game? 
it's Pete Nance's dunk late in the second half. Um, and you ask yourself, well, how did that play come about? And it came about because there were three guards on the court. There was a lot of rotation going on. Suddenly Nance came swinging around to set a fake screen and instead flashed to the hoop and he was wide open. And those are the kind of things you want to see Pete Nance doing. And there was so much motion. There was so much movement. There was so much attacking. Bowie was able to operate so well. It opened so many things up. And, you know, it's it's everything that we've wanted. And you saw with Barry, too, coming off the bench, playing heavy minutes in three-guard situations. And, again, it's like it doesn't have to be that way all the time. And they struck the exact right balance in this game. Half the game, they were in those three games, those three guard sets. They knew when to use it. They knew when not to use it. And that's what got the offense cooking. Um, and that and, and Bowie being hot. So, I mean, you can say Michigan State didn't perform offensively. Yeah, but they could have performed a lot more offensively. And they still would have lost this game because uh, we had it going on offense. 52.9% shooting from the field for the Cats. 47.6% from three. That's just ungodly. That's just white hot when you shoot 47 percent from three you're you're gonna win a lot of the time especially if the other team only shoots 20 25.8 percent mm-hmm. um but i like i wanted to focus on ty berry because that's somebody coming off the pit game he only mm-hmm. played 10 minutes in that game and if and if i recall correctly it was an early 10 minutes um he got 20 minutes against michigan state he was three or four from three point four or five from the field overall john i i recall you questioning specifically like why aren't we seeing more ty berry uh, against Pitt, especially as Pitt was pressing us in the second half and trying to get back into that game. Um, so your your point about the coaching staff like adjusting correctly, the other beauty is that we've got the guys on the team to actually do that now, right? Like like two years ago, you didn't have three guards that could play at the same time. <laughs> so um, progress has been made there. You know the Nance thing. We've been waiting for for Pete Nance to emerge. It will will be really interesting to see if we continue to see that throughout the year, because um, he hasn't ha- he hasn't been able to string a lot of really good games together over time. And then, you know, I, I, the other guy I want to I want to talk about we and I don't think we've talked about him at all uh, thus thus far this year. But that's Chase Adige, um, our our freshman guard. Who I don't think he's a freshman. He's a transfer, he's a transfer from transferred in from William and Mary, but yeah, I mean he's got three years of eligibility. Yeah, that's what. It, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, like he's 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 young. He gives me like a Scotty Lindsay vibe. I don't know why. Like he's not like he he scored. He didn't score a ton in this game. He's he's been more he's been more um, effective scoring in some of the other non conference games. But uh, just like that additional size and competence at the guard position. Um, a guy that can play without the ball and, but, but it's all, you know, is also perfectly comfortable handling the ball and just like, it, it feels like we haven't had a, a player like him, um, who wasn't either, you know, kind of like a, like a slower shooter, um, like a Miller cop, for example. Um, it just feels like we haven't had a player like that on the team. And he just, he just feels like a glue guy that helps kind of unlock and, and allows you to play a more versatile style. Well, I think you, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think you talk about glue guy. I look at a guy like Miller cop who we've talked for years that like Miller cop's soul is like sixth man on a championship final four level basketball team. Right. So like he is an excellent player 
who fits best in an in a rotation of other fantastic players, right? And instead, he you know for so long was thrust into this role where it's like you got to be the bell cow, you got to go out and get buckets. He scored five points in this game. He attempted three. You know, he took three shots from the floor. And I'm sure he's coming out of this being like, this is great. I'm (laughs) I'm moving around. I'm watching guys fly all over the place. We're getting buckets left or right. And, like, I can – and, you know, basically being like, the way we're moving around, I'm available at any time to do anything. If it takes me scoring ten points a game and we're winning left and right, um, I just think it all works. And that's the thing. Like, if you were watching this, it didn't just feel like we were only winning because Bowie was hot. You can just see the machinery of it. And the way that a guy like Nance, who so often is out there being like, you know, you're out by the perimeter and you're like, oh, what is he going to do here? Like, how we, how is he even going to effectively integrate himself in the offense on this play? Instead, you're getting this rim-running movement oriented you know like killing it on the glass pete nance where you're like yeah this is what it is you should be like able to flash around and like move yourself and find momentum within this guard rotation within this offense and it just all work organically and it did it felt like the offense worked so again you know we'll hope that there's not a crash down to earth coming out of this one but um on this night you know and the announcers said i mean jess settles was all over it you know, in the studio after this game, Northwestern dominated front to back in this one. And it never looked like the, they were not the better team on the court. And uh, here's hoping that it, it keeps staying that way. And, you know, suddenly the cats may have found something. I mean, the big 10 is an absolute meat grinder this year. <laughs> it's just oh, I mean, that's schedule. A, that's, my God, <laughs> that's the thing. Like it don't get any easier, but yeah. Well, we, so we play, we play IU tomorrow night, the 23rd. Um, on the road, that's you know they're not ranked. It's a winnable, certainly a winnable game. And then we've got a home game against Ohio State the day after Christmas. And then we play, and Ohio State's ranked. And then we play in an, another one, two, three, four, five straight ranked games, including number four Iowa twice. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, ugh. I mean that's and we we talked about this going you know way back at the start of the season when we're like, look, even if this team has improved, the quality of the conference. Well, hey. Let's not take it away. Maybe maybe they can go out and win some of these games. I'll tell you, the, there's, the way that schedule is set up, you win a couple of more of these, suddenly you're going to be staring at a ranking um, because this team's got it. But, I mean, the one thing we said after, like, the first two games against admittedly weak competition was, like, if you're watching the games, you can just tell it's different. The question is, will they be able to correctly, you know, correctly coach these guys, correctly find the right sets and maximize the talent and in minimize wear and tear on these guys as you go into the season? But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at this offense and be like, there's a real offense here now um, that can win big time games. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's definitely worth watching. And like, you know, coming out of this weekend, you know, Northwestern had a chance to beat the number four team in the country <laughs> on two separate occasions. Um, we got one of them. Wasn't quite the one we all had in mind. One that we all Probably thought. would have traded the two yeah, if, for you, sure. if you really for, pressed absolutely, me on it. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, still coming out, you know, the first time Northwestern ba- men's basketball has beaten a top five team since 1979, Michigan State, with Magic Johnson. 
Two of the pirates weren't alive then. I'll let you guess which two. <laughs> so, so that's Sunday. Let's let's move on to Monday. Um, and th- this is this is where things start getting interesting. Shot and shot and Freud. Yeah, begins you know, to climb we're into the picture. We're we're all just riding so high after this win. Um, the news comes out that uh, Greg Newsom is declaring for the draft. And, you know, we're all saying, oh, yeah, you know what? Tip your hat, my dude. You had a great, you know, great run. You have absolutely an opportunity to go uh, get drafted probably later, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round. But, you know, he's he's a solid corner. And you know, he- I, I saw I saw I saw Trey Williams tweet, um, which it just it hadn't occurred to me before. But Trey Williams basically said, like, I just realized this about Greg Newsom. Um, and he was addressing Greg directly, but he, but he basically said like I just realized this about Greg Newsom like you've been injured you've been you've been in, you've missed time in three se- three seasons to injury but you've always come back better, um, which is which is really true and like you think about I mean you think about his debut freshman year and I and I think about us previewing that football team in 2018 and John you saying my X factor is Greg Newsom if this guy gets on the field our our defense has the ability to be pretty special like he can elevate us in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. And he did exactly that. And it it was true again last season and true again when he was on the field this season. Right. And I think too, it's, it's one of these things where you, it stings, but at Northwestern fans, we kind of have to adjust ourselves to kind of a a new paradigm, right? Rashawn Slater being Mm -hmm. part of it where it's like Patty Fisher is, is this fluke situation where he didn't have a particularly great year last year. He's not really supposed to be here this year. If he had had the year he thought he was going to have last year, he'd be in the NFL right now. He's 6'4", what, like 240 with all the skills you're looking for in an NFL linebacker. It's like guys who, after, you know, three years of eligibility, look like NFL players need to go make that money. Like, to your point about Newsom, like, he's been hurt. Like, he needs to start banking those miles. Like, he needs to start getting paid to do something he's clearly good enough to get paid to do. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's happy trails. Would, like, we desperately well, well, love this, to- this is just a reflection of improved recruiting, right? Like, this is the first yes. true three-and-done player that Fitz has ever coached. Yeah. Um, And that new paradigm that you talked about, John, is spot on. Like, as Northwestern fans, like, like folks wake up. Like, we, like... We want to recruit better. We want to compete. We we want to be able to run with the Ohio States. We're gonna have guys like Greg Newsom that that you know like that leave after three seasons. And and it's 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 worth noting because a couple people asked about it. Like Anthony Walker left a year early, but he also was a redshirt freshman, so he was he was with the team for for four years. Um, Rashawn Slater was planning to come back for a fourth year, but opted out. It's a sli- you know slightly different. So, um, but we like. Frankly, we hope to see more of this. Yeah, it's like see the, see the forest through the trees, right? Right now, someone's in some like living room, being like, "Look, you could be Greg Newsom." Yeah, this right. this is a good thing. Like, Greg Newsom going pro is a really good thing. It looks, it's very favorable for the program, and like, you know, being able to go and say, "Look at all these guys who we have going to the NFL, come play for us." That that's what we want to have happen. Right, and I mean, and you already have it too on the squad too right now. Like, let's take a guy like Rod Hurd, right? Who, again, 
like if it wasn't drummed home already, Michigan just fired their defensive coordinator because no one, you know, their defense just couldn't have get it, gotten it done. Rod Hurd would have started at some point for Michigan's defense at cornerback this year. Instead, he made the right choice and he came to Northwestern. So instead, he's looking at a Big Ten West champion and being like, the guy ahead of me bounced to the NFL a year early. And now it's my turn. That's the that's the mentality you're looking for in your secondary to be like these top notch guys being like, all right, that guy's in the league now. Now it's my turn to shine. And right. We've got guys like that already on the squad um, and we'll have plenty of other guys coming in. The plenty of other guys coming in is definitely the key part here, because I think this this takes us circles us all the way back to the hair pulling thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So, you know. He announces he's going pro and then starts to come out all, all the guys who are entering the transfer port. Kyrick McGowan, he graduated. He's going as a grad transfer. Um, it, this is so new. Like, no one is actually gone and no one has said where they're going. They're just, you know, putting their names on the transfer portal. And also, let, let's also keep in mind, just because you're putting your name in the transfer portal does not necessarily mean you're leaving for sure. It's just... You know, it's not a completely done deal. Although I think we can we can probably assume that all the guys who are going are going for a reason and are probably uh, going to end up going. Uh, so McGowan goes as a uh, grad transfer. Uh, Malik Washington also uh, goes, which is a little weird. Uh, just you know, as as much as the coaching staff was raving about him going into the year, but then he didn't really see the field all that much. You know, he wasn't as big of a part of the offense as you know kind of we thought he might be after all the rave reviews going into the season can we hit the other names before we we dig in because i think i to me it's the corpus of these guys it's the important part to think about absolutely uh jeremiah mcdonald gunner maldonado uh two uh, defensive backs who really didn't see the the field and then isaiah bowser um i We'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. I think the big surprise was Eku Leota. Um, you know, Leota is a guy who just, you know, really came on strong, was probably the cornerstone of our defensive ends this year. Um, and, you know, that I think caught a lot of people off guard as far as um, guys who were probably going to transfer. A lot of the other guys, maybe they saw the writing on the wall. I mean, you look at a guy like Bowser who – was our absolute bell cow two years ago. Uh, down the stretch, when we needed him, he came in and he carried the load and he carried us to the Big Ten Championship game. And then last year he got hurt. This year he started off strong and got hurt and was never, like we talked about it all season, he was never quite right. And then with the emergence of, of Cam Porter in these last two games, you know, Porter's a, a true freshman. We got to, we got a freshman coming in next year, very highly touted uh, recruit. That just to, to pause for a sec, we haven't even talked about signing day that also yeah, happened yeah. this past week, and we'll talk right, about that down the road. I mean, what, what, but before we, I mean, before we get too caught up on Bowser, like I just, I just want to point out a couple things about this group of, of guys. So first of all, Malik Washington from Georgia, Kyrick McGowan from Georgia, Gunnar Maldonado, Arizona. Jeremiah McDonald, Louisiana, um, and then Echo Leota from North Carolina. These are guys that are playing college ball a long way from home. And I, I said this 
on our last podcast. I said it two weeks ago. I've been saying it to everyone I've been talking to for, for weeks now. Like, not only is there a big question this year with, you know, who's staying, who's going, everybody has another year of eligibility if they want it. Um, but the NCAA didn't increase scholarship limits, so there's there's presumably going to be a shortage of a shortage of spots. And on top of that, everyone has been anticipating a lot of movement because of COVID and because of how hard this fall has been. These guys have been cut off from basically everybody but their positional units and their coaches for six months. And you know, you 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 look at a team like Northwestern that that navigated this as best as they possibly could that takes a toll though and you know you you heard if, if you if you had a subscription to, to rivals and you read louis vasher's off the record interview with one of these guys who's transferring like that is clearly a factor that is weighing on these guys like i want to get closer to home i want to be able to see my family i want my family to be able to see me play i don't know what next year looks like if this is an option that I can take advantage of, I'm going to do it. And I'm not saying that's the only reason. Clearly there are other reasons, you know, Bowser being from Ohio is the one guy that doesn't fit this mold, but I think it's really important for, for us to step back and look at the bigger picture of movement is expected in college football this season. It's been a goddamn weird year. I, I forget who tweeted it. Maybe it was um, fake coach fits, but this idea like, oh, what, college football players are also experiencing the same existential crisis all the rest of us have been dealing with for 12 months? Like, right. of course, like, this is happening. Oh. So, I like, before anybody gets bent out of shape, and I know that none of, none of the three of us are, like, you got to, like, step back and think about not only are these guys playing far from home, playing in a in a intense, stressful environment, like like dealing with the academic side at Northwestern plus the football side at Northwestern. There's a million different things that might pop up that be like, ah, this may this maybe isn't the best fit for me anymore. Or gosh, you know, in the case of like a Bowser or a Washington, they're looking at the depth chart maybe or, or a Maldonado, et cetera. Like but like everything is amplified by what's been going on in the country for the last ten months. You know, oh, these totally. guys haven't seen their families in how long? And, you know, I'm guessing that these guys' families aren't necessarily coming in from Georgia, Louisiana, Arizona for every game. And that's like the only opportunity that these guys are, are getting to see family. There's that. And, you know, as Gus was saying, Louis Vicaire's article, you know, with the unnamed player who spoke very frankly about it, he mentioned, you know, so he mentioned Black Lives Matter. He mentioned a couple other things. Yep. And I think people, again, continuing this kind of hair pulling theme, we're jumping ahead to being like, well, does that mean that, you know, certain players are feeling like there hasn't been enough done at Northwestern relative to Black Lives Matter? And I was like, you're overanalyzing here. Like, what this player is saying is, to everything Scuzz is saying, we are just under crazy amounts of stress in a completely unprecedented time in our country. And at that time, a lot of guys are not going to be feeling comfortable in certain places. And, you know, again, I'm not putting words in the mouth of this particular unnamed player, but it's like, as Scuzz said, like being really far from home in such a situation could certainly be there. But there's also the part that on top of all of this, Northwestern is not the perfect place for every guy who signs with Northwestern. It's not like guys have not transferred out of Northwestern before, and it's not like it hasn't only been about playing time it's like give these guys the credit to be like look some guys realize it's not a perfect time and if you arrive at northwestern and it's not the perfect fit for you 
and then you're in a situation where you're in this blender that is 2020, it's going to absolutely magnify that. And the NCAA, rightly so, has given you an opportunity to not use a, not lose a year of eligibility and not have to sit out a year. Why would these guys not transfer out in that situation? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, people, the door swings both ways. Yep. Don't think so there were there were a bunch of people like as soon as those Urban Meyer elite you know target kind of comments were out there from not just him but from a variety of other spots there was there were a ton of Northwestern fans talking about trying to get or target people through the transfer portal so right like like it's like everyone goes into the portal all these teams are seeing players go into the portal and be like oh my gosh look where yeah okay. Guys, you think guys aren't going to want to come and, you know, furiously knocking wood, maybe Peyton, we get another year of Peyton Ramsey coming back. It's like, you think teams like Northwestern right now could be, yeah, like, oh, are you out on the transfer portal? How's playing in the Big Ten championship game sound? Is that something you might be interested in? <laughs> like, these things are sellable. Everything Scuzz says makes perfect sense, right? Like, this is not a sky is falling. This is not... And, oh my gosh, somehow, in a literally impossible way, Fitz has been having clandestine discussions with the Chicago Bears, who have not yet fired their coach. And somehow, not only has he been having these clandestine discussions, the team is somehow aware of it, and because of this, guys are transferring. It's like, people, simmer down. That's not what's happening. The the one coaching aspect that you could maybe apply to this is the fact that for these offensive guys— they didn't come to play for Mike Bajakian, right? Like they, they, you know, especially in about like, like to me, Bowser is the one that fits this, this, this kind of most directly. Like Mick McCall was a run first operation and, and obviously Bajakian is as well, but maybe Bowser just feels like the, the fit of the offense isn't right for him anymore. And, and some of that could be injury related. Some of it could be depth depth chart related. Same thing on the defense. We know Mike Hankowitz is retiring. Is that something that like, like I like I don't think Ecoliota woke up on Sunday and said, "Man, Hank is gone. I I I got to get out of here. I don't know who the next guy is." Like that just that just doesn't make sense. But when all these other factors are all lined up as well, it's like, a, "Well, you know, I was really excited about playing for Hankowitz and like like that's that's just one additional, you know, feather on in the pillow or what I I don't know what I don't I don't have the right analogy on on hand right now, but um like it but it sure as shit ain't ain't Fitz might leave like that. That's just crazy. And I think like I'm I'm and I'll be honest, like I'm guilty of that, too, because I remember last year Stanford had a ton of players going into the to the transfer portal, including KJ Costello, their QB, who had been such a such a huge like NFL draft uh, talk about before the season started. And, you know, I started wondering, and I think he even talked about it on the on the pod, like is is David Shaw a candidate for the. Carolina Panthers job is like maybe he's maybe there are you know rumors going around and that he's going to be gone and these these players are trying to jump ship and it's just like obviously that didn't come to pass I don't think David Shaw was even really a candidate in that in that whole ordeal and it's just this is the nature of college ball now and and the fact that these opportunities are out there for these guys to you know we've talked for a long time about wanting the players to have more um more decision-making power right in, in, in their path. And that's, that's what this looks like. And it's frankly, it's okay. In my and, and that's, that's something that we really need to keep in mind moving forward. I mean, there, 
is real momentum into getting rid of the sit, one year sit out rule. So the this, this, trans, this, this transferring this will, is going right. to become the new normal. I, this will be, I think, a real canary in the coal mine year for that, right? Because yeah. because we're going to see. We all get to sit back and be like, just how much movement are we going to see this? So I, I just saw an interesting tweet by Tom Van Heron. There are 532 active names in the transfer portal since the beginning of November. That means for every FBS team would have to take four transfers each just for all the players in the portal since November to remain in the FBS. And that's just now. Yeah. Like that, that, that number is only going to get bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's crazy. And it's, it's going to be a totally unprecedented thing. And Northwestern's not immune to it. And, and, you know, like, and that's only, and, and Scuzz alluded to it too. It's like, that's only if you're really straining for some panacea to explain why every Northwestern guy transferred. It's like, folks, like it, at our, at, at safety, one of our players is a, is an all-american and he was a freshman this year that spot's locked up for the next like two years and then it's like you know did you watch cam mitchell in the big 10 championship game have you watched coco azima like that's three safeties if you're not one of those three guys in a year where no one lost a year of eligibility you could be forgiven to be like if i want to play safety i gotta go find some you know find a job somewhere else it's like that's just logic um, some of these may, can be explained in a millisecond. You know, it's just, it's, there are reasons for all of it. Don't pull your hair out. It's not about fits. Okay. Like this is, this is all noise at this point. And it's like, you know, the fo- football team, you know, it's all about looking ahead to the bowl. The one really interesting position group, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but it is wide receiver. Yeah. And it's because RCB has, um, and John Rain have both accepted um, invites to play at, I, I is it the College Gridiron Invitational? I can't remember what one, one of the, one of the postseason things. It, it's one of the postseason scouting games, right? So presumably, those guys would not be planning to come back in 2021. Now you've got McG- you've got Lee's graduating. You've got McGowan. Lee's could come back. Uh, Lee's could come back, right? But he is he is a senior. You've got McGowan, another senior who could come back, is in the portal right now. You've got Malik Washington, who's announced he's he's going to transfer. I mean, that's. That's like the bulk of our um, wide receiver core with playing time. And so, you know, it, it does beg the question, like, what does that leave? Well, you've got a Bryce uh, Kurtz. A lot we, of guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A Bryce Kurtz we saw a, a number of times this year in, in you know, it, who has shown his ability to be a downfield threat, right? You've got Genson Hooper-Price, who we haven't seen hit the field yet. Um, six foot five recruit. You know, we were all really, really excited about him. You've got Berkeley Holman who came back and, and was able to, to play a little bit this year. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't have a whole bunch of um, recruits on, on Wayne, Dennis. Here, but Wayne, Wayne Dennis. Wayne Dennis is another yeah. one. Oh, yeah, Wayne, one. Wayne Dennis is another one who we saw get on the field a little bit this season. So, like, that that's going to be a really interesting position. I think you, you can look at the defensive spots. You can look at running back, and the answers and the next steps are all very, very clear there. Right, wide receiver is a, is, a, is a bit of a question. But one of the things that I, I just thought I'd, I'd share this, because this was one of my reactions kind of midway through the day on on Monday as this stuff was coming out, was this recollection that, oh, wait, do, remember when players were opting out for this season and we lost Sam Dup Miller and Travis Willick and we were like, oh, gosh, what, is it, what does that mean for our defense? Well, like 
turned out that was okay, right? Like, yeah, we, turns we out when you recruit 20... really well, guys are waiting to play who are really good. Yeah, exactly. And that is like the biggest takeaway is that Northwestern, you know, has recruited better over the last four or five years than ever before. And there's a ton of talent on this team. So, um, I, you know, I, we wish all the best to these guys if they do end up transferring and leaving Northwestern and we hope that they find what they're looking for, but Northwestern is going to be just fine too. Yeah. And the, and the, the recruiting class, the recruiting class that we haven't even panned ahead, right? Like there's a whole group of guys who have not even started to sign with Northwestern who are going to be recruited to come join a team that's won two of the, la- two of the last three Big Ten West titles. I mean, it's like the fruit, the best of this is still yet to come. Oh my God, I completely forgot Triple J. Yeah, who, um, yeah, yeah. We didn't see this year. I think the word is he was injured uh, and missed the season. But yeah, uh, it's, yeah, spot on. So, Let's everyone take a breath. You know, we're. If you'd asked at the beginning of this season, Northwestern will go play in the Citrus Bowl after winning the division. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. No. I exactly. don't. I don't believe there were many that were as optimistic as us uh, yeah. in 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 pitching a six there and two. W- there will be at the end of the year. Northwestern will win the West, go to the Citrus Bowl. There will be. 22 freshman first team All-Americans and two of them, one on each side of the ball, will be Northwestern Wildcats. You'd be like, okay, yeah, I think we'd all accept we'd all accept that. Sign me Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah, we 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 did we 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 have to put some respect on Man Bear Pete's name. <laughs> yes. Hey, amen. Yeah, for all of uh for all of Brandon Joseph, which I mean like whatever, first team I mean, well, He's second team All American pro football focus. We're going to see the rest of his hardware roll in. But yes, Man Bear Pete as well. Pete Skoronsky. Um, again, it's like we had two of the 22 best freshmen in the country this year. <laughs> country, not the Big Ten. Yeah. And like those, those guys play many more years. And Skoronsky was like constantly being rated as one of the top tackles. Yep. Period. Oh my God. Can you imagine? The end. I mean, I, and just, Rashawn played this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, but hey, I mean, it's like there's this is what happens when recruiting goes way up um, and and it's going up. What, and nowhere has it gone up more dramatically and quickly than on O-line. And, and we saw that with Skaronsky this year. Next year, you know, presumably Josh Preeb, Ben Rather, um, Charlie it Josh Schmidt. Thompson, yeah. who just signed like, like Zach Franks, have... like these these guys are all it's like, yeah, it's like Mega. we can we can all name the offensive line entire too deep now because they were all big recruits. It's like I, this is I mean, this the, is when it gets fun. The three of us all pray to the altar of Kurt Anderson. I mean, there's been no yeah. no oh. question on that. I mean, he has been amazing since coming in. So trench cats yeah, for absolutely. life. Yeah. So. So yeah, like like says was saying, yeah, you get Citrus Bowl, you get the West, you get all these accolades for individual players. Like, enjoy it. This is good. This is where we want to be. It's good stuff. Um, and now we get to get ready for a bowl. So next week we'll come back. We'll preview uh, the bowl game against Auburn. Um, you know, we'll see if anyone else jumps in the transfer portal. We'll see what other movement might be happening. I, I'm guessing it's going to be fairly quiet. From now until then, I mean, it's only like a week or so, a, li- a little more than a week before, you know, before our bowl game. And then, you know, kind of we'll, we'll see what happens from there. I don't imagine we'll get any word of guys who are coming, like seniors who are going to come back 
I, I know in Fitz's post game from the Big Ten Championship, he basically called on everyone to to tweet at Peyton Ramsey and, and ask him to come back. I, I mean, the, we'll, we'll sign us up. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Um, you know, we'll talk about the uh, what's being said unsaid in that statement uh, another time. But uh, in any case, um, anything else to to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? I mean, I guess we've 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 kind of crapped on it um, a couple times here, and that um, there's no indication at this stage that there's anything to worry about with Pat Fitzgerald, other than you know, just like in the past several years, NFL teams are going to reach out to him. I think what what was the stat we heard from um, Paul Kennedy earlier this year? Like, there's been nine different NFL teams over the course of the last five or seven years that have inquired about Fitz that he's you know politely declined including working for his old boss mark murphy at the um at the green bay packers i just like you know we can speculate a lot i I guess i i want to put a couple things out into the ether um you know we're on the record as saying we believe the bears are the only it's the only job he would he would go for um we're talking a little bit with with adam and jay the last couple weeks like pat ryan big time NU booster is also a part owner of the bears and and could presumably be a broker of that sort of deal. And, you know, presumably could be having advanced talks with Fitz's agent right now. Do you you mean the Pat Ryan who has his name on almost every building at Northwestern? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The Pat Ryan who's put like a dramatically higher percentage of his fortune into Northwestern football than anything else. So um, like, again, color me skeptical, but like even outside of that, Fitz's son's about to start playing high school football. Everybody says that his, his, his boys want to play for him at Northwestern. Like there's, there's so many things to, to, to look at here that like, I'm not saying that he wouldn't go or wouldn't consider it. I'm just saying like the idea that it is already done and baked is crazy. And we should all step back from the ledge until there's a moment where the bears job is open and Fitz won't answer a question, right? Like, like that's the moment where we should also be like, okay, let's start, let's start like worrying now. But at this stage, it's just noise. It's just chatter. I would love it if Fitz would come out and quash all this because it would just, uh, you you, you can sense it's it's the sort of thing that he doesn't, he hates even giving the time of day to these types of rumors. Um, But much like he did after the, uh, the win over Utah in the bowl game a couple years ago, when, when he said, you know, this is my like I'm I'm basically he basically said I'm I'm staying here for life. Um, I don't know if that's true, but like it would be really lovely to get some sort of just acknowledgement like that to help to help everybody chill out. But even if even if we don't get that over the course of the next week, there are far more reasons to be skeptical of this NFL nonsense than there are to be thinking it's 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 already in motion. Well, Dave Revison yeah. actually asked him about this uh, the other day. I, I was you know kind of watching the. On, on Sunday night, um, he was on you know, t- kind of pre, pre-talking about the uh, the Citrus Bowl. And Revson straight up asked him, like, you know, are you going to be coach at Northwestern next year? And he says, if they'll have me back, I certainly want to be here. But, like, at, at the end of the day, you have to be open to opportunities, right? I mean, like, he, he has said he wants to stay at Northwestern. You know, all indications are he's going to stay at Northwestern. But, you know... You would be a fool just in, in any course of life if you're not keeping one eye open for opportunities. You have to. You have to see like 100%. You know, 100%. The the perfect opportunity might come up. And if it does, more power to him. You have to be open to that just as a 
as a human in, you know, self-betterment, you know? Well, I mean, well, it's like what, and it's whatever he determines an opportunity to be, right? I mean, it's like, you're absolutely right. And you can be open to those without being like Elaine Kiffin, who like openly makes jokes about the next job he's going to take. Like, <laughs> while he's at like, whatever. It's like, you know, some guys, it means like a totally different thing. And um, right. I mean, it's like clearly Fitz. Fitz has done nothing but show that he's full of love um, for Northwestern um, and the program. Um, this is sort of like a, a, a extremely rough pivot. But, you know, Sam, you were saying like final things. Um, to, to bring up and then scuzz brought this up and i'm glad he did um i want to make sure before we get out of here tonight it's it's such like it's almost like shameful but i don't know what the heck else we were supposed to do about you know given the weekend that we all just went through let's at least stop and acknowledge that at this moment in time amidst everything else that's going on veronica burton's one of the 10 best women's basketball players in the country at this moment in time. Uh, and we also have Lindsay Pulliam on the basketball team. But in this window of time we are in right now, Veronica Burton is playing absolutely insane basketball um, in all phases and is absolutely dominating the beginning of the Big Ten schedule, um, which, again, is crazy because this team also has the preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. And again, that's why the Cats look utterly dominant right now is because we have two of the very best players in the conference and no one else does. And I mean, there's a million other reasons Scuzz talked about. I mean, the team is deep. They're strong. There's an awesome flipping basketball team. But I just wanted to point out that if you've watched any of this on TV, I mean, Veronica Burton is is at a level right now that uh, is is just stunning. The way she's playing basketball is is breathtaking to watch. She was absurd against Purdue, and and like you said, I th- I think what's most impressive is that it's not just scoring, it's not just passing, which she's been known for in the past. It's not just the defense. It's like she looks incredible in transition. She is she's just everywhere, and you know, so we get to. The, the women played earlier today, actually. They annihilated Eastern Kentucky, which is um, presumably not difficult. No, but no. They, uh, they, play, they play against Nebraska on New Year's Eve. Um, get yourself to a TV that afternoon and, and watch this team. They are so much fun to watch. Like, and, like, and, honestly, like, and honestly, they're underrated at this point. I yes, think people yes. are starting to understand that this is, a top, this is probably a top 10 team in the country. What are they ranked? Like 15 right now, I believe? 15. 15. Right. Yep. So, yep. yeah, New Year's Eve at Nebraska, um, coming home to play Michigan on January 3rd, uh, at Wisconsin on the 6th. So, um, you know, getting into conference play, we will talk plenty and, and be happy to talk plenty Northwestern women's basketball because these ladies are unbelievable and Sa- savor this moment people things are very good right now <laughs> like don't instead of pulling your hair out enjoy this moment in time where somehow all of these three teams are riding very high um at you know even and, you know for for the men who knows where it's gonna go but as we record right now these are some damn good teams and I think that is a perfect point place to uh, put a bow on this one for tonight. 
Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates, and you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Ladderon field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.